Okay. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, keep, keep moving with our service this morning. Uh, as you guys know, we are in the middle of a sermon series that is selecting kind of different stories from the Gospels and, uh, and talking about Jesus, watching him interact with the people around him. And we've titled this sermon series, Be Curious. So we've been talking each week about what that means, what that doesn't mean, right? That when we, when we are encouraging each other to be curious about Jesus, uh, we're not saying you should treat Jesus like a curiosity, like, have any of you been to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Gatlinburg? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Can I get a hand in the air? Yes? Yes. Okay, some of you. Maybe you watched it growing up, right? Uh, those things are curiosities. Things that you kind of look at and go, oh, interesting. And then leave, right? That was one of my grandma's favorite words. That's so interesting, right? That's a curiosity. Um, that's not what we're talking about. That we would walk away from church and say about Jesus, well, that was interesting. And then, and then leave it there but that we would be curious about Jesus, like in a relational way, like in the way that you would be curious about a lover or the way that you'd be curious about a friend, the way you'd be curious about a person that you're desperate to know more, that we would be curious. And that what's true about Jesus is that his character never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the depth of that character knows no boundaries. That there is always more to be curious about when it comes to Jesus. And that though Jesus never changes, we do. And because of that, whenever we come to him, uh, there's room for curiosity because we are bringing a, a new self to that interaction every time. And that stirs up new questions in us because of where we are in life, because of what's going on. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, some interactions Jesus has, some conflict that he has with the Pharisees. I really want to encourage you guys that we would lean in and be curious about that. And one of the ways we're going to practice that this morning is that after the scripture is read, I'm going to ask you, what from this passage are you curious about? And then you can ask questions about the passage. But I really want to encourage you, specifically today, maybe even more than the question, what are you curious about? I want you to be thinking about as you're listening, what, are you curi what about Jesus are you curious about in this passage? Like, what questions do you have about Jesus as we hear this passage? Okay, are you with me? Okay, Julie is going to come up. Julie Gilpin is our reader this morning. So, yeah, yeah. So as Julie is reading, be thinking about the question, what, are you, what, what questions do you have about Jesus as you are hearing this passage read? Okay. Great. Uh, this is Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. On this one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why, why, are, you, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? 
But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel in the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that your word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, spend time in it this morning, that you would be opening up the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see uh, the gift of rest, the gift of limits uh, that you've restored here in this passage and that you've restored to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what questions do you have about Jesus from this passage? Yeah, what does Jesus think about working on the Sabbath? What's with the special bread? Yes. Jesus, what is with the bread? Why did he heal his hand on the Sabbath? Yeah. What is Jesus like when he's angry? One more. <laughs> yes. Was this a setup? Like, what, how much did Jesus know about what's going on? Yes. Love it. Uh, and again, just encouraging you guys, as we're going through this, that our heart, our desire is that we would be continually curious about, about Jesus, about our Lord, and about, uh, about his word. We're going to answer some of those questions as we kind of get, in, get into it today. And the first thing we have to talk about to understand this passage is, what the heck is the Sabbath, Right? Like, we may have some kind of idea of that, but maybe, maybe you don't. There's a whole kind of biblical background on this idea of Sabbath that's important for us to understand if we're going to understand what, what's happening in this passage. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is, what is the Sabbath? Then we're going to talk about the Sabbath and how it became disfigured. Right? That's kind of what the Pharisees had done to it that Jesus is trying to correct here. So the Sabbath, the Sabbath disfigured, and then the Sabbath restored. Those are our three kind of the three places we're going. So if you're a note taker, those are your three bullet points. Uh, so let's, let's start by talking about the gift of the Sabbath. And to, to do that, we've got to go all the way back to, all the way back to the beginning, right? All the way back to Genesis. Because this idea of the Sabbath has its inception in the very, in the very fabric of the created order. So this is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So you hear that? In the very fabric of creation, God creates for seven days, and the seventh day, he rests. We've got to ask, well, why was God resting, Right? Because that has a lot to do with why we would rest and what, what that teaches us about how we're engaging or not engaging in the Sabbath. And God rests not because he's tired. That's a very important thing that we believe about God is that our God is limitless in his resources and his energy. He doesn't get tired or worn out like we get tired or worn out. In fact, one of the things I love about the Old Testament prophets is that's one of the ways they taunt other people about their gods. 
there's this confrontation Elijah has with, with uh, some priests of other gods kind of in Israel, in ancient Israel. And he says, oh, is your God taking a nap, right? It's like, how silly, how ridiculous that a God would do that. That's not what God is doing here. God's not taking a nap. He's not tired. That what God is doing is God is, is enjoying and delighting in what he has created. That our God is stepping back and looking at his creation and saying, I'm satisfied with this. And he's delighting in it. He's enjoying it. He wonders at his own creation. Right? Like that in the same way, this happened to me this week, I was on a walk in our neighborhood and there was this beautiful uh, plant that had all these pink flowers on it. And you know when it's so like, Everything is dead and gray around here. In spring, when the flowers start to come alive, I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. And that when, when we do that, we're, we're doing something that God himself does. That God looked at his creation and wondered at it. And that includes, that included on the seventh day, God delighting in Adam and Eve, Right? because they had already been created. So they were there. So when God steps back and he delights in his creation, he's delighting in, in mankind, in humanity. He's enjoying Adam and Eve. He's wondering at his handiwork as displayed in them. He's seeing the image of himself in them and he's saying, that's good. God's delighting in his creation. That's, that's what we hope for happens on spring break with our families, right? <laughs> Not all, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's the goal, right? That we'd be able to go away and be with the people that we love and say, oh, I'm enjoying time with you because I'm not distracted by these other things. Occasionally, when we come back from being on a date, our babysitters will say to us, your kids were such a delight. I'm like, oh, that is such good news, right? I'm glad that somebody else is also able to enjoy them. That's what, we, that's, what, that's what you want for your family, for your kids, right? It's for someone else to be able to look at this person that you love and say, I also love them. You take joy in them, I also take joy in them. I delight in them. Yes. That that is what God says over us. And, and what we've got to connect here is that, do you hear, there is a limit connected with that delight, that God is saying, to participate, to really soak in the delight that I have for you, I'm placing a limit on you. I'm asking you to rest. There's an invitation there. So delight is connected to a limit in Scripture. You see that? And then, if you know the story of Genesis, uh, things kind of go off the rails pretty quick. So uh, pretty soon after, the seventh day, God resting, uh, Adam and Eve they sin for the first time. And at the heart of their sin is a rejection of God's limits. So God put a tree in the middle of the garden and he said, hey, don't eat from this tree. Why did God put it in the middle of the garden, right? Like, couldn't you just like put it off to the side of the garden? They have to look at it all the time? Who knows? But part of it is that uh, God is, was asking Adam and Eve to, to trust him that the limit that he had set for them was not bad but was a gift, would you trust that this limit that I've given you is a gift? And they said, no. We do not trust the limits that you have for us. That the limits that you've placed on us are actually a curse because we don't trust who you are. And the result of them rejecting the limits that God had placed on them is that uh, it brought 
death into their lives. That's what sin does. That's what rejecting our limits does is it, is it brings death into our lives. You guys have experienced that, haven't you? That when you refuse to respect the limits in your life, that ultimately what that does is it burns you out, makes you tired, it makes you crash. I can think about in my own life, uh, like having an actual, like a breakdown. And that breakdown was the result of me refusing to rest and respect the limits that God had given me. That what that brought into my life was death. Suffering, pain. And what that meant for God's people is that rather than the limit of the Sabbath being uh, something that they were invited to, God had to command it of them. God had to command them to rest because they had shown we were, gonna we, we were consistently rejecting this limit that you've given us. And so he gave them the fourth commandment. We get it in, in Exodus 28 through 11. We get it in Deuteronomy 5 through 5, 12 through 15. And it says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The word Sabbath just means cease. A day of ceasing. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. Do you know God even prescribed Sabbath rest for the land itself? So we could, we could have a whole sermon talking about the ecological implications of the fact that God commands us to rest our animals and our land. That is not the focus of today's sermon. We can talk about that later, okay? But if you hear, God is commanding people, everybody needs to rest. It's a justice issue. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you hear the invitation there? The invitation to God's people to rest? To delight, to delight in the Lord and be delighted in on that day? And yet because of our resistance to the Lord, he commands his invitation. It makes me think of uh, vacation day policies. If you work, you probably have a vacation day policy, right? Uh, and there's been this trend in some in some companies toward unlimited vacation. We have unlimited PTO. Like, wow, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? And yet, uh, what research consistently shows is that people with unlimited PTO take less PTO. If you have unlimited vacation days, you will take fewer vacation days across the board. And that, when people are on vacation with their unlimited vacation days, they never stop working. People will say, with my unlimited PTO, I am always working. I can never go on vacation and actually be on vacation. I always have to be on vacation and also checking my email, just in case. And so what some companies have started to do is to say, actually, we're going back. We're moving away from unlimited vacation days, and we are going to give you a set number, and we're going to require that you use them by saying if you don't use them, you lose them, right? But what that's doing is a way of incentivizing that we would actually go on vacation. All that to say, uh, these companies are commanding that we use our rest because the invitation by itself isn't strong enough. Is that connection? Are you guys with me on that connection? That's the same thing God is doing for us. He knows that that's who we are as people. 
that we're a people who never take our vacation days. So he commands it because he knows that we need it. That he desires for us to slow down enough that we'd be able to recognize that he, that he delights in us. That our hearts and our minds and our bodies would get still enough and quiet enough that we could hear the song of his love for us. That's what the Sabbath is about. Does that sound like a gift to you? Guys, I feel like we're struggling this morning, okay? Are, are, you, are you all with me? Does that sound like a gift to you? You can nod your head no if you don't think so. Okay, we're going to try one more time. Does that sound like a gift to you? Yes, right? Gosh, how desperately do we desire rest? Thank you, God. And yet, what we see in this passage is that this gift of God has become severely disfigured. Look at verses 2, 23 through 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And then again in chapter 3, this is verses 1 through 2, again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What is going on here? How have we gotten so off the rails that Jesus healing a man of his withered hand is considered unallowable on the Sabbath? Clearly something is wrong. Well, what's happened is the Pharisees, they were the kind of religious leaders of the day, right? And what they decided to do is they were really keeping God's law was very important to them. And so they said, well, if, if we're trying to avoid this thing kind of in the middle, well, let's just build some fences outside of that and then we can know we're never gonna actually get to the thing in the middle. Like we know that we, we won't break the actual commandment if we put up all these other commandments. And we'll just put some fences around the fences and then fences around the fences, right? So they did this, for example, with the divine name. They said, well, we don't wanna commit blasphemy. So if we never say God's name, we can never commit blasphemy. Easy. And so you, you can notice in the text history of the Bible, there are abbreviations that started to be used for the name of God so people could avoid writing the word of God or writing the name of God. So we've got fences around the fences around the fences to kind of keep us away from the sin. Or it's like uh, where I grew up, uh, kit foxes were an endangered species. And you always know when there was a kit fox around because there would be all of, these, uh, all of these markers up kind of keeping you away from the kit fox den. And so if you could just put the markers out far enough, right, you could keep everybody away from this protected animal. That's, what, that's kind of the heart of what the Pharisees are doing here. And I will just say, it is very easy to be critical of them, right? Oh, these guys, these illegalists. Their heart there, in a lot of ways, was uh, the people of Israel had gone into exile, had been sent away from the Holy Land because of their disobedience to God's law. And so they're trying to figure out, man, how do we keep God happy? Well, we'll just put up the extra fences. But what is so kind of ironic about this whole situation is that by, erect, by putting up their own limits, by erecting their own set of limits, their own fences, th what they were doing was rejecting God and his limits. Because listen to what God says in Ezekiel 20:12. He says, moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that it is I, the Lord, who sanctifies them. 
And sanctifies is a word for um, makes holy. That God is saying, I am the one who brings my people into a relationship with me. I'm the one who does the work so that I can delight in my people. God says, I do that. And what the Pharisees were doing is saying, no, we are gonna be the ones who make ourselves acceptable to God. We are gonna do it. And that, guys, that is at the heart of all religion. Every religion in the world is an exercise in us saying, what are we gonna do to make ourselves acceptable to God? It's what the Pharisees did. It's what, it's what every faith system in the world does. What are we gonna do to make ourselves acceptable with God? And that, that burden uh, is crushing, isn't it? Have you ever lived under that burden? of what do I have to do to make myself right with God? What do I have to do day in and day out to feel peace with God? What is that? It is a heavy, it is a heavy, heavy burden. And it's the kind of burden that hardens our hearts. That's what we see in verses four and five of chapter three. When Jesus would say to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. That what legalism does to us is it hardens our hearts, it deadens our hearts. And that makes Jesus angry. That our hearts getting hard, that the death that we bring into our own lives and to other people's lives by rejecting his limit that he sanctifies us and us trying to do it ourselves, it makes Jesus angry and grieved for us. He says, that is not what I created your heart for. That legalism doesn't make us more alive, it makes us less alive. The gift itself of Sabbath, this idea of rest, has become disfigured. And what Jesus desires to do here is to restore the gift of the Sabbath. That's what this whole thing about the bread is about in verses 25 and 26. He said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. It's easy to read that and think Jesus is just saying, the law, just throw it out. Who cares? Do whatever you want. And sometimes people do that with grace. They talk about grace that way, right? Just do whatever you want. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is that in the same way David was connecting with something in the law that was, that was deeper, Jesus is saying, and I am greater than David. The one who is greater than David is here, and I'm gonna clarify for you what the heart of this law is all about. I'm gonna give you a fuller, a deeper understanding. I'm gonna restore what this law was all about in the first place. And we hear that in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what I love about this is just the, the truth bomb that Jesus drops here. Just think about that, just for, with me for a minute. Think about the irony of the situation, okay? What John 1 tells us is that the entire creation was created through Jesus. So 
when God created the seventh day, Jesus created the seventh day. He was there on the cosmic seventh day resting with God, delighting in and being delighted in by the Father. That's who Jesus is. And the Pharisees come to him and say, well, these guys were plucking some grain and rubbing it together, so I think you're breaking the law. What? Anybody understand? That's so silly, isn't it? Jesus was the one who created the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, guys. I get it. I know what it's about. Let me teach you. What he tells them is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That all of these fences that you've put up, that you've loaded on people as a burden, totally miss the point. He's correcting their view that the Sabbath is not about what you are doing for God to earn God's favor. The Sabbath is about you resting in God's delight of you. It's a gift to you. So put down all of those silly fences you've built around here that have nothing to do with my law. He's a Lord of the Sabbath. But when Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying more than I'm Lord over the Sabbath. What Jesus is also saying is I am your rest. He's saying I am your Sabbath. That he is the one who stops the striving in our own hearts and lives. Like, think about this. There, there are so many uh, tips and tricks and apps and articles out there that will tell you how to get rest into your life, right? So many strategies. Just take a cold shower, right? There are all kinds of, there are all kinds of things that we're always trying to tweak and turn and play with and figure out, how do I get rest into my life? What do I need to do to get rest? And what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest, that rest is not something you earn for yourself, that rest is a gift that Jesus gives you. Why can Jesus just give you the gift of rest? Because he is our rest. That Jesus himself is our rest. And we, and we hear that on the cross when Jesus is hanging there and at the, after all that he's been through, he declares, it is, it's finished. It's finished, Jesus says. All the work that has to be done to make you right with God is finished. There is, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can add to the finished work of Christ. It's finished. Which means there is nothing that you can do, that you have to do to make yourself right with God. Nothing. It's finished. All of, the, all of the striving, all of the anxiety that drives us for more, it's finished. He tells us, I have, he says this in 1 Peter, I have given you everything that you need for life and godliness. I have given you as a gift, not as something you have earned. I have given you Everything that you need for life and godliness, all of it, it's finished. 
I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm always with you. There is nothing you can do to get closer to me. There's nothing you can do to get further away from me. I'm with you always. It's finished. So then why do we feel so exhausted? Do any of you ever feel exhausted? <laughs> why do we feel so beat up, uh, chewed up and spit out by the world? Why, why do our lives look just as busied and harried and stressed out as all of the people around us? It's because we continue to despise our limits. That the work, it's finished. It's been done. Jesus has done the work for you. It's finished. But we continue to despise the limits, the gifts that God has put on our lives that would slow us down and help us to remember that we are a people who have been delighted in by our Father, who are constantly being delighted in by our Father. And one way we despise those limits, like the Pharisees, we, create, we get busy creating all these religious rules, okay? Those can prevent us from resting. One of the other things we can do is it's, we kind of get a little taste of it here, this word for the Herodians in this passage. Who are the Herodians? I'm glad you asked. Okay, the Herodians, or these people, these Jews, who be had become so kind of acclimated to their culture that they had given up everything that was unique about Judaism. They had said, ah, you know what, this whole idea of God having limits to your sexuality, forget about it, it's not that important. This whole idea about God caring about us being like clean or unclean, forget about it. This whole thing about God caring about us resting, forget about it, it doesn't matter. So they had rejected God's limits by um, rejecting God's limits, right? And we often fall into one of those two places that we're always getting ourselves busy with religious things or we're saying, I don't ever need to rest ever. And guys, I will just tell you, this was very hard for me when I um, was taking my ordination exams to be a part of this denomination is having to wrestle with what happened to the fourth commandment? Did the fourth commandment just become a suggestion when we got to the New Testament? And I, no. <laughs> uh, and that was like a really hard, that has been a hard thing for me to wrestle with. What does that mean in my life? And one of the things Jesus says, kind of at the end, there's this in Mark, this passage comes after all of these times where Jesus confronts the religious leaders. They're confront, 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 confront. And after all of these confrontations, what he tells them is that you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And so what he's reminding them is in all of these religious confrontations, he's saying, I'm coming and I'm doing a new thing. I am bringing freedom to the children of God. yes. And so we are not under all of these ritual obligations of the Old Testament. We are not under all of these 39 categories that the Pharisees had created for keeping the Sabbath law. We're not under those things. We're free. But what God consistently says about our freedom is use your freedom to honor the God who made you and to care for the people around you. And that's true with what we do on the Sabbath on the, on this, with this fourth commandment. Now, what I want to challenge you guys with, and I've been so challenged with myself this week, is uh, would you stop one day a week? Would you stop 
would you stop checking your email? Just stop. It will be there for you on Monday. Would you potentially uh, stop reading the news? Because the world will be just as bad on Monday. Right? Would you do that as a way of putting down all of the worry that you carry about the world, that we all carry about the world with us every day? Stop. Would you stop counting your steps? That your whole life is not a self-improvement project. Stop tracking your sleep on Sundays. Just stop. Not stop working so that you can pick up all of your hobbies about how you make yourself a better person. Just stop. Would you stop uh, entertaining yourself to death? Stop avoiding yourself? And as we stop, will we start to hear our Father's voice who delights in us, who is constantly singing over us, who is reminding us, I love you not because of what you've done, not because of how you have changed yourself, not because of the goals you were setting and achieving or setting and failing to achieve. Would you just hear me love you? Do you remember how to delight in people? It takes time. It is incredibly inefficient, delighting in people because it's not about the product, it's about the being with. Would you, one day a week, uh, make the space to delight, to delight? To connect would be another word for it. To connect with yourself. Because God loves you. You, right where you are. He loves you. Would you slow down enough to to realize what is happening in your own heart? To connect with the Lord? To connect with your family, with your friends? Not to plan a bunch of events, but to slow down and connect? Guys, this is... uh, I'll just tell you, this one is hard for me to preach because it is hard for me to practice. Uh, And that's what it has become in my life is this thing that me and my family are practicing and figuring out with the Lord. Lord, how are you asking us to use our freedom in a way that honors the fact that we have limits? It's iterative. Try new things, tweak new things. What about this? What about that? And Uh, I don't know if you were like me, but my heart is prone to legalism. I love the rules. And so what I want to do is then turn all of this freedom into rules. Okay, do this, don't do this, and that means you have to do this, and you have to not do this. Okay, we're fighting all of those things too. That we would use the freedom that God has for us in a way that allows us to rest, to stop, to delight in uh, and be delighted in. What would it look like 
if we were a community that looked like that, like a community of rest, where people would interact with us and say, whoa, what is going on there? Why, why do these people seem so at peace with the world around them? Like, oh, that's what I want for us. That we would be a people who would be at rest because of how much our Lord loves us. And that's what he wants for us too. It's what he's angry for, for us. Let me pray. Oh, Father, uh, Father, you know uh, all of the ways that we resent and resist limits in our lives. Um, Lord, you know the ways that that has harmed us, the ways that has disfigured us, the ways that that has sabotaged our maturity, our relationships, our walk with you. Lord, you know all of those things. And what you are singing louder than all of those things is your delight in us, that you love us that you've come to restore us, that you have restored us, that it's finished. Oh, Jesus, would you teach us to be a people who rest in that finished work? Uh, Not who put up fences around fences around fences, but a people who use our freedom uh, to delight in and be delighted in. Lord, would you lead us in that delight now as we sing and worship you? Amen.